Well, today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 34. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 34. Hear the word of the Lord. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parable, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the, sha- the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven." Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How how then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, 
which is the smallest of all the seeds on earth, yet when planted, becomes, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many other similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. The word of the Lord. Uh, We are studying uh, this gospel, the good news of Jesus, recorded by Mark. And today, we get to examine an answer to something that has been troubling, I think, some of you, maybe many of you, myself as well. So let me start with a question. Have you ever wondered why more people don't latch on to the gospel as if it's the best news they ever heard? I mean, that's the way we talk about it, right? The songs we sang this morning talk about total forgiveness, peace, knowing God forever, loved by God in spite of our sin. I mean, it's almost like it's too good to be true. And to get it, it doesn't cost anything. It just costs your life of faith. And yet, uh, you know, I mean, part of me wants to say, why isn't this church just bursting with five services and planting church? And why aren't all churches leaving, um, not, not having room in it because people are standing outside wanting to get in? And yet, last week, Pastor Shep reminded us that when Jesus was on earth, his own family, remember this in chapter 3? His own family, after they heard him, saw him do miracles, said, the guy's out of his mind. Now, that doesn't sound like it would be in the Bible, let alone from Jesus' own brothers and sisters. That's what it says, chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. He's crazy. Or last week, we also saw these religious leaders, the Pharisees, who were saying, oh, this man is doing works by the demons, the prince of demons. And Jesus said, yeah, if you're going to talk that way about me, you have committed the sin for which there is no forgiveness. That was when Jesus was on earth in person. So let me push into one more question. Last week, Pastor Shep also talked very quickly about Jesus choosing 12 followers. This is in chapter 3, verses 13 through uh, 19. You know, the apostles, right? And we're all kind of like, well, yeah, well, I guess the apostles, the epistles, what's the difference? Well, hopefully you know what the difference is. These are the leaders, the 12, that represent the foundation of the Christian church. Okay, so we're there. But then we read verse 19, the last one named Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. We don't say it, but maybe you've thought, Jesus, come on now, you could have vetted your 12 better. And certainly as God, he knew what would come, and yet he chose Judas, who stopped following him. 
So what do you do with people who, like someone my wife and I know, very close to our family, was raised in a Christian home, went faithfully to church with their parents, and, you know, we're talking Sunday school, youth group, even went to a Christian college, and I think a semester before they were to graduate, dropped out, transferred to another college, because they said, I am not a Christian. I've been kind of faking it for the last few years, so I don't need to pretend anymore. You know, on the one hand, you're grateful for honesty. You don't want hypoc uh, hypocrisy, right? But can you imagine the brokenhearted parents and family and friends who thought one thing? So, have you th do you know somebody like that? maybe more than one person, who at one time loved Jesus, maybe they were even part of this church or your community, and now they're not. What do we, what do, we do with that as Christians? So Jesus answers that question and more in what is called the parable of the sower and the soils. That's what we're going to look at today, the first 20 verses. And <clears throat> I need to build one more bridge here because uh, if you think about planting seed, it's not like probably you do it if you're going to plant, like, say, tomato plants or, you know, squash or something like that in the spring where you would take seeds and put them in and cover it with dirt and up would come a plant, hopefully. It's more like planting grass seed. Have you ever done that? or seen it done, right? I just did it last week at our house. <clears throat> we have a little patch that's, uh, it's just, it's got rocks underneath and I've tried to put some topsoil on it and all this. So I did it again. I did it last spring, I think, and of course it, with a bad summer it kind of dried out, but it's a good time to plant grass seed. And what do you do? Well, I don't take each little seed, right, and bury it, I just take a handful grab it and kind of sprinkle it over the patch. Now some of it, I will see later, is on the driveway or the sidewalk or somewhere else, but most of it fell on the ground. So that's the background to this Middle Eastern way of planting, whether it was wheat or barley or something like that in a field, right? So he's grabbing a giant handful and just kind of scattering it out there. And Jesus says, um, I'm going to teach you with a parable. Now, again, pause for a moment. This is unique in the New Testament. There are a few parables in the Old Testament, but if you take all four Gospels and count the parables, there's about 60 of them. It was Jesus' favorite way of communicating truth. And a parable... You may know this, right? A parable is taking a story from everyday life and then drawing out spiritual lessons from the normal things of life, like a farmer or a sower planting seeds. So this one is the first one in Mark's gospel, and it's the first one also that has not just the parable, but Jesus' own interpretation of the parable. So it's 
you can't argue about what it means, so to speak, unless you don't agree with what Jesus says it means. So you ready to look at it here? It's, it's pretty easy to understand. The first part of the parable says that this sower or farmer scatters the seed, and some of it falls on, he calls it a hard-packed path, like, think of a sidewalk, concrete, right? He's, he's walking around the, the farm, and he's not going to step in the soil, he's stepping on a, a hard path. And what happens to the seed? Well, of course, it's not going to penetrate. It's too hard. And birds come and say, hey, there's a free lunch here, guys. Come on and clean up the path. And they do. The second seed falls on what's called rocky soil. But don't think of rocky as in like little rocks mixed in with dirt. Think of shallow topsoil with bedrock underneath. And so the seed, this time, goes in the soil and it sprouts. But when the roots try to go down, they can't penetrate the rock, and so it withers. Third, thorny patches were apparently part of this guy's field. It wasn't filled with thorns, but there were maybe thorns here and there. And the seed goes next to the thorns, and then after a while, after a while, the thorn starts growing in competition with the seed, the wheat, and the thorn overtakes the wheat and smothers out the life. Fourth, ah, here we are. It's called good ground. No thorns. No rocks underneath, just good soil. And the difference is not that it sprouts, because the other two sprouted, the germination occurs, and it grows and it keeps on growing until it produces fruit or a crop or a harvest. It does what it's intended to do. It reproduces itself. Some 30 60 or 100, which is a way of saying if you plant one grain, you should be able to get 30 grains out of the one on the stalk. You say, wow, really? <laughs> one to 30? That's a pretty good return in uh, financial terms. Well, yeah, it is. Apparently, in uh, ancient agriculture, maybe one to five would be the normal. So Jesus is saying this is an exaggerated harvest. It's like miraculous. But it's different, right? 30, 60, 100. It's not like it's all 100. Well, there's the parable. And I'm sure there were whispers, what? I think I know what he means. Or what do you think he means with this? So Jesus is about to explain it, but before he gets there, in verses uh, 10 through 12, he kind of interrupts the discussion and he says, you know, let me just tell you about parables for a minute. He says in verse 10 and 11, the secret or the mystery of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, Everything is said in parables. 
which this is a little mysterious. The secret is given to you, but not to those, and so that's why I'm talking in parables. So what is Jesus saying here? The word secret or mystery means something that was hidden, and God has now revealed it, opened the truth. So Jesus is essentially saying, you who are following me, I'm telling you now what is really true, what used to be hidden, and what is still hidden to those who don't want it. So here's, here's something that is a truth from God. God gives light to all people, but if people turn from that light, God may turn off the light. He gives people a chance, like remember Pharaoh in the book of Exodus? And Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And Jesus quotes from Isaiah 6 here in verse 12, where in Isaiah's time, 700 years before Jesus' time, the same principle was occurring. The people of Israel had all this revelation, but they weren't following it. And Isaiah was told, all right, you go and talk to them, and even in telling them the truth, it will harden their hearts against the truth. That's a it's kind of a mystery. So that's what Jesus is doing with his parabolic teaching. It's meant to inform those who are enlightened but confuse people who are just hearing the top level. It's almost like there's a surface level, there is, right? And then there's a deeper level of meaning. Okay, so let's get to that deeper level. In verses 13 through 20, Jesus explains what he meant by this story. And what he says is, the uh, story is all about, verse 14, a farmer sowing the word. So we're not just talking seed, we're talking about the word of the kingdom, the message of the gospel. And of course, Jesus is the first farmer, the first sower. He's not the only one, right? Because he tells people, go and tell people about me. So we become sowers as well. But the interesting thing is he says, all right, now each soil represents different people's hearts. You ready? The first one, not too hard, right? It's, it's, the, it's the sidewalk, it's the concrete. Some people have hardened hearts, just like those religious leaders that we read about in chapter 3 who were hostile to Jesus, blasphemed him. The word of Jesus just bounced off their ears. Here's the reality. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the truth. Really? Yeah, people are not blank slates. When we're born into this world, we're already born enemies with God, blinded to the truths of God. 
This is serious. So everyone kind of comes with a hard heart to God. In fact, let me just pause and say, if you're following Jesus now, do you remember when you did have a hard heart? And some of you, if you became a Christian as an adult, can remember how hard your heart really was. And somehow, it didn't stay that way. All right, so there's hope, but still, hard-hearted people refuse the message. Number two, there are some people who have hearts that are shallow. There's rock underneath. They are rocky-hearted. And the way he says it here is, is quite profound. He says, they believe, they they're, they're excited. They receive it with joy. If you go to the, Luke's gospel, he actually uses the word, they believe. Now, if you say, hold it, how do you become a Christian? Isn't it by believing? Yes. So these people must, if they receive it, if the seed sprouts, they must be Christians, right? Um, no, because they fall away. That's what it says in verse 17. And they do it rather quickly. It's like, yeah, this is the greatest thing in the world, and then they're on to the next greatest thing in the world. Well, hold it. I, I thought if they believed, they fell away. So there must be two kinds of believing. There must be the kind of believing that stays believing and the kind of believing that stops believing. Temporary faith. Shallow-hearted faith. And that's like the crowds in the Gospels. We're going to see it in Mark. Like, hey, Frank, did you hear about free food? Really? What? Yeah. Bread and fish. All you can eat. Really? How much? Free. This guy's giving it away. Yeah? Or, hey, did you, did you know that pain you had? I had one too, and this man healed me. Really? How much? Free. Really? Beeline to Jesus. He's the food pantry, and he's the medical clinic. And as soon as the word came from Jesus' mouth, repent. Take up your cross and follow me. Love your enemies. I don't think so. I mean, thanks for the lunch and thanks for the healing, but not me. Third heart, verses 18 and 19. Thorns. People who find other things more attractive than Jesus. And is, isn't there a lot of competition for our attention today? I mean, who can be bored if you have a phone or the internet, right? <laughs> there's, there's always something to search. There's always something to buy. Who needs to go to a brick-and-mortar store anymore? Who cares what the hours are? So the store is closed. I buy it online. I have it tomorrow. I want to know about the weirdest thing in the world? I search on it. And there's 10 million sites I can visit. Oh, it's time to do something profitable? 
Oh, okay, where did my time go? You, you see what I mean? That's the world we live in. So now, even in the ancient world, it represented the, it says there, the, the wealth of the world or the desire for other things. So what does Jesus give you? He gives you forgiveness and he gives you knowledge of God and a relationship that you cannot compete with except she is very pretty. And I could make a lot of money and pretty, it's not quickly, I think it's gradually the idol grows to the top of the pile and Jesus becomes less and less. Finally, verse 20, there is good ground. Good-hearted people. Well, what does that mean? That they're natively good? No, but there are good-hearted people whose hearts don't have rock under the soil, who don't have thorns that will you know, crowd out the seed, the seed germinates, the seed grows, and the seed produces a harvest, fruit. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that the person who is living this way is living by faithfully following Jesus. If Jesus is giving the word of the kingdom, we would call that the gospel, right, the good news, then they're living out all that the gospel means by way of kingdom values and everything we're going to learn in the book of Mark that Jesus says and the rest of the New Testament because those are the words of Jesus' apostles. Paul himself said the fruit of the Spirit is, right, love, joy, and so forth. That's why the rest of the New Testament will teach us that if you say you have faith, James, right, you say it, but you don't have your deeds to show that you believe, you're, you don't really believe. You have demon faith, not real faith, because the demons believe, but they don't change. They don't become angels. And then he says, there's that variety. There's the 30, 60, and 100. And that means, I think, in your own life, you have periods of, could we say, great fruitfulness? Maybe you're at 100. And other times when you're at 30. And you almost feel like, oh, where is God? And am I following? Well, you're following. You're not falling away, but you're just not as fruitful as you were before. And I think we could see that with other people as well. Like some people are just, wow. It's like somebody put miracle grow in their coffee spiritually. They're just loving the Lord, loving the Bible, sharing the faith, changing in their disposition. That's a good parable, isn't it? There is good ground. Now, I, I just thought, of a few things that we can learn from this that will both challenge and encourage us. So here we go. Number one, although the gospel has the power to change anyone, not everyone will be changed. 
Although the gospel has the power to change anyone, not everyone will be changed. Remember, there's four soils, and the first three were unproductive. It's not like even two and two, or one and three. It's three against one. I think it's important for us to realize what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and few there be that find it. So Christianity is a narrow way. It always has been. So let's, let's remember that the church has always been the strongest when it sees itself as an outpost of the kingdom of God. Not in charge of this world, not yet, but offering life to a dying world. We are the minority, not the majority. And like one uh, author has written, we live in a negative culture against Christianity. It used to be, a little bit ago, it was a neutral world, and before that it was a positive world. We're not just in a post-Christian Western world, we're living in an increasingly anti-Christian world. And I'm not afraid of that. That's where Christianity was born. That's where it can make a difference that's crystal clear to people, but it's not gonna be easy because persecution, suffering will come. So remember that. Knowing this will keep you from watering down the message, cutting corners on the truth, and it'll free us to live authentic, gospel-centered lives that stand out in their difference and their beauty. That's the challenge we have good ground. The second thing, and this is really important to remember, someone's current response to the gospel isn't necessarily their final response to the gospel. Someone's right now response to the gospel, like they have a hard heart, that's not necessarily tomorrow's response to the gospel, their final one. Now, why do I say that? Well, do you remember when I was explaining this and I said, do some of you remember having hard hearts? And I saw some <laughs> head shake. Yeah, I do remember that. Well, I trust it's not hard today. So what happened? So you moved from hard to good. Well, how did you do that? And the answer is, God did it. God is the only one who can change shallow, thorny, or hard heart into a good heart. So what does that mean? Well, I hope you can see the implications here. Uh, that, that means that we have to keep sharing the truth, sowing the seed, praying, and let God do his work, the only work that God can do which we can't do. I mean, think about it. If you've ever planted a tomato plant, or in my illustration, grass seed, 
what do I do? I put the seed down and I you know, make sure the ground is kind of scratched a little bit, maybe put my foot on the seed and make sure it doesn't blow away, water it, hope the sun shines, right? I can't order it to, to shine. Hope the temperature is right. I can't get down there and say, oh, hmm, I forgot to read the instruction manual. Where was the on switch for germination? Maybe that's why they're not coming. No, right? I'm passive in watching the seed sprout. It's not my business to do. I plant, I water, God gives the increase, as Paul said. So that's why at Chelton, with our children, you know, the children's ministries, the youth ministries, what do we do? We, we don't know, because here's, here's the big question, is my child really a Christian? Or are they just, you know, being good kids? Mommy and daddy want me to love Jesus, so yes, I love Jesus. Right? I mean, yeah. So what do you... <laughs> the answer should be, we don't know their hearts. God does. Our responsibility, I'll just say at Chelton here, is our teachers faithfully sow the seed, pray the seed in, water the seed. We're faithful at giving the truth of Jesus out. Just like hopefully parents do too. That's what you do. You actually have more time with your kids. You're the primary influencer of your kids. That means you have to live authentic, God-centered lives around them. So when you blow it, you admit it. You pray together. And you share your Christian life together so that they see it and hopefully own it eventually. So I've been talking, you know, about other people. But doesn't this sword cut both ways? Like, what kind of heart do you have? It's a good question to ask because the way you ask it now and answer it today may be different than it was a year ago, 20 years ago, and hopefully, maybe in 10 years or next week. This is dynamic. Oh, that God would give us good soil that produces good fruit. And may we not be like Judas, who seemingly had faith, right? It sprouted up, he was an apostle, and then he ended up denying his Lord, dying, and he's in hell today, the Bible tells us. But rather, maybe some of us are like Peter, right? He followed Jesus, and then at the end, he denied it. He's not my Lord. I don't know who he is. Remember, and then he came back. Both Judas and Peter denied their Lord, but two different hearts. One that confessed and repented and came back even stronger, Peter did. So in closing, let me tell you about Rob. He was a student of mine about 15 years ago at a the university where I teach, a Christian school. And he was a great student in Bible classes, and uh, Q&A was, he was a fun guy, and uh, a solid 
Christian, actually majored in, a, in biblical studies, and then I noticed a few years after he graduated on a bulletin board, there was a list of books for sale, like a whole library of good Christian books, not just biology or English or stuff like that, but no, I mean, those are good books too, but you know, it's like, who's emptying their library? And it was his name at the bottom. So I contacted him, I said, why are you getting rid of all your books? He said, I became an atheist. I said, oh, really? And he said, yeah, and he told me a little bit, and he said, look, I'm gonna be in uh, next week to uh, pick up some money for the books. I said, well, can we grab lunch together? He said, yeah, sure. So we're sitting around eating, and he just calmly tells me he's read three or four books of whatever the top atheists were 15 years ago, and he changed his mind. So he's living with his girlfriend and not sure what he's going to do in life. Ooh, so I said, well, Rob, can I pray for you? And of course, as an atheist, well, of course you can, but <laughs> who cares, right? So I said, well, I'm going to pray for you. So I would contact him maybe every other year or something like that. Now nah, I'm still... And my fault here, he kind of fell off my radar until, I think it was two years ago during COVID, and unsolicited, I get this email from him. And he tells me, I'm back following the Lord. And he gives me a few sentences like, thank you for praying for me. And I thought, oh, right, yeah, if he only knew to my shame. So I said, well, can I call you? I can't do this on email. He said, sure. So we talked for about an hour and uh, he hit bottom and COVID scared the daylights out of him. And he's married to that girl that he was living with and he has three kids. So, and he's in a church. And he's in a men's discipleship group. Wow. So I was very encouraged. And I asked him back then, two years ago, can I tell the story? He said, yeah, sure, whoever. So if you were to ask me, what, five years ago, what kind of heart did Rob have? I would say, well, maybe the thorny or the, you know, the, the stony heart that he just fell away. He says he's not a Christian. He said, I'm not a Christian. And now he says he is a Christian. So I even asked him back then, do you think you were and somehow fell away and backslid and came back? Or do you think now you're a real Christian? He said, I don't really, I don't know. And it doesn't matter. I said, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so I called him this week <laughs> just, just to make sure. Because again, I haven't, I haven't kept up with him. And he said, again, thank you for calling. Yeah, I'm in church, and I have four kids, <laughs> and I love Jesus, and uh, yeah. So I share that with you because bad ground can become good ground, and what looks like good ground can even become bad ground and become good ground again. So what is up for us to do? We're not into soil analysis. We're into spreading the seed and praying that it germinates. There is supernatural power 
in the cross and the message, and that's what God will do. That missions booklet that you have, here's people that have dedicated their lives to doing this all over the world, full time. And you and I could be in that booklet as well because you are spreading the seed. And if you're not, hopefully you will be, right? Because you can do it where you are, from the smallest circle in your family to your job, to your school, to your neighborhood. Just spread it and let God do his work. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have caused us to be born again by incorruptible seed, your word. It's a mystery, but how we thank you. We thank you for the power of the cross that will transform us from glory to glory. So give us boldness and compassion as we spread it, even this week. In Jesus' name, amen.